Hello, I want to welcome you to Kingdom Success University, which is a faith-based podcast that teaches kingdom principles in a practical but strategic way. Some of the key principles that will be highlighted but not limited to are effective communication, developing a success mindset, leadership skills, how to develop healthy relationships, finances, character, and much more. Let us explore how you can personally expand your capacity to succeed in life. Shara Hutchison is a minister, TEDx speaker, international best-selling author, leadership strategist, change management practitioner, customer experience expert, talent optimization consultant, and founder and CEO of Exposure. With a master's degree in business and a bachelor's degree in technical management, she has over 17 years of leadership experience and a proven track record of developing and implementing operational strategies and technologies that support key business initiatives. She is known for inspiring leaders and developing high-performing teams. Shara enjoys writing and spending time with her two-year-old son, Todd Jr., and her husband of 11 years, Todd Sr. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Kingdom Success University, where we teach kingdom principles in a practical but strategic way. So I am so glad to have our guest again back, Shara Hutchison again. Hello. How's it going? Hi. I'm, I'm so glad to be back. This is like my third time here. So I feel like, James, your family, and so is the audience. Like, I feel like they're, they're, our, they're our friends and family now. So I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Yes, they are, you know, family and friends. It's like it's like a family reunion. So it's great. Right. For sure. For sure. So so I, I wanted to really uh, just take a step back because you talked some good you talked some good stuff from the last episode, which was developing team dynamics and you use the acronym EXPOSE. Um, and, and you went into details of how to basically identify uh, team members, how to nurture and grow a team, whether if it's in a business setting or a job setting. But either way, you just you you just know how to develop teams. So what I would like to do now, because this is a little bit unique, right? And so to let the audience know, Sharon and I have not really done any practicing to this. So so we're just really flowing. But uh, we're going to talk about family dynamics. So, because when you think about it, so Shara, if for the audience that may not know Shara, Shara is she's not going to brag about herself. So I'm going to do the bragging here. Okay. So she is a TEDx speaker. So to just even put that in context, like a lot of people don't have an opportunity to actually do that. So for someone to say, hey, we want you to go on this platform and speak to an audience of individuals that are highly successful, looking for that, that next step in their careers, they basically came to share and said, hey, we want you to speak here. That's pretty impressive. Then on top of with that, Shara has a successful career. So she, she's very successful. She manages a lot of people at her current role. And she developed teams. So that's pretty, that's pretty massive. But not only that, right? Here's the kicker. She's a business owner as well. 
right? So she runs a business. Wow, that's that's amazing uh, to to understand. So in her life, she has these buckets, but then we can't exclude the other side of her life, which being a wife and a mother. So today, I wanted her to take some time out to really teach us, hey, what are some of the key success or like give us give us some high level things that we can implement in our lives to be better spouses or parents or siblings whatever that may be how do we develop those dynamic relationships in our family so with that i'm done promoting shara here but i'm gonna turn it over to you shara so if, if you want to start off with exposure uh just a recap of that but then Hey, let's transition into the family dynamics. We can go from well, there. I want to first just say thanks, James, for the, the great introduction. And, um, you know, I, I like the way you talked about the different buckets because I'm not the only person who has different buckets in our life, right? We all have uh, things that we are responsible for. And we all wear multiple hats. So you may wear the hat of a mother, a father. You may wear the hat of a business owner, the, the hat of a grandparent, you know, the, the hat of a manager, a leader, the hat of a CEO, the hat of a coach, right? You could coach a team. You could wear the hat of a financial advisor. You could wear the hat of, you know, there, there's so many different hats you can wear. And, and hey, on your job, if you have a job, you may wear different hats that aren't a part of your job, your, your job duties. And um, somehow you have to learn how to not just compartmentalize the different hats that you wear but to be able to give your best self wherever you are. And in our society and in our, our, our day, uh, we are so busy. We are involved in so much, you know, our, the generation now, we are like uh, uh, multitaskers. We want to do everything at the same time. Um, and sometimes when you are career driven and business driven or even ministry driven, right? Um, you can forget that you have a family at home. You can be so tied into, you know, uh, the goals that you have or so tied into what you're trying to accomplish that you miss opportunities to spend with loved ones. And so I think, you know, while last time we talked about teams, uh, this week we're talking about family dynamics. And, and I'm going to say your family is your team, too. Right. A, a team is simply a group of people that are working towards the same objective. And in our families, it's the same thing. We're working towards the same objectives. And, and unlike a team at work, your family is actually closest to you. They know, especially those in your household, they know you, they know your failures. They know that when, when you come home and you, you know, uh, you know, just lay off your professional voice or you, you know, you're, you're tired and, and maybe you're at work and you're tired and you, you don't let anybody see it, but you get home and you're like, leave me alone. I'm tired, you know, like whatever it is, like they, they see the real, right, James? Like your, your yeah, family absolutely, sees they do. The, the real. And so when they see the real, now you're both all working towards the same goal, but they see you in a different light. And which means they can push buttons that people at your job can't push. Like if somebody says something to you that gets on your nerves at work, it's easier probably to brush it off than someone who actually no, no, no knows you at home. And you're like, wait a minute, you know, whether it's your brother, <laughs> your sister, your cousin, your child, whatever, like it just, what, what do they say nowadays? It hits different. It yep. hits different when it comes from, you know, 
somebody in your family. And many times we can discount our family to pursue our dreams, to pursue our goals. And what I want to talk about today is the importance of, you know, why we want to prioritize our families, you know? Um, And when I think about family dynamics versus team dynamics, I think about the fact that uh, family dynamics is how you interact with each other and how you interact with your family impacts and how your family interacts with you as well impacts the way you see yourself, the way you behave. Um, even if you, you know, you, you grew up with your family and then you don't even, you know, uh, converse with them anymore and you don't spend much time with them. Those things that were ingrained in you as a child still can sit with you to this day. If you don't, you know, address them or you don't, uh, recognize that those, you know, the, the things that happened to you in the past have an effect. Now, some of those things may not be bad, so it's not all bad, but sometimes there's bad things and sometimes there's good things that comes out of your family dynamics, right, James? Like every family dynamic has some really great qualities and they have some uh, dynamics that could be harmful. Um, And I, you know, I I like what you, all the things you said about me and I, and I will share some tips today, but I am am by no means like an expert at this. You know, I feel like, like Paul, when he said, not that I've already attained or already perfected, but I'm pressing toward the mark. I yeah. feel like over the past few years, I have become more aware of the importance of family dynamics. And I don't know if there's any, anybody out there who's kind of like me, where maybe you didn't grow up in a nuclear family or a family where it seemed like the white picket fence and you know everybody uh, had you know like, like dinner together at the same time and breakfast together and your parents were packing your lunch and you know somebody bought your first car and somebody you know paid for your college what like there some people have you know upbringings like that where they have that love and nurturing I didn't have that and sometimes when you don't have that growing up you don't realize the importance of it and so then you grow up right you grow up and you didn't receive the love and affection and attention that you needed. And so it doesn't even cross your mind to behave that way with your family until you get, uh, I'll just say like have an enlightenment moment or until God begins to work on your heart and begins to reveal you to you. And so while we're talking about family dynamics today, I'm really going to talk about, and, and as James mentioned, we didn't, we didn't practice this or anything. And I'm going in a whole different direction, James. I'm just letting you know, like what's on my heart today is um, we're talking about family dynamics, but in order to have a great family dynamic, it starts with you. It starts with you searching inside of yourself and realizing what you can do better to improve the family dynamic. Because many times we have arguments with our spouse. We have disputes with our children. We have fallen out with our parents. We have infighting with cousins, like all kinds of things. And what do we do first? We blame. Mm-hmm. We blame each other, which causes separation and division. And remember what I said earlier, right? If a family is a team working towards the same goal, you have each other's back, but yet there's infighting and you're separate, how can you move forward together? Mm-hmm. And then if you don't care, if you even talk to them ever again, how, you know, how can they benefit you and how can you benefit them? Um, and, and so were you going to say something, James? No, 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 no. I was actually agreeing with you. You know, okay. I, was actually, I was actually thinking of the quote uh, division. It actually means two visions. So mm-hmm. when people are 
um, in, in a disagreement, it's two different visions that, that are, you know, colliding, right? Saying, no, no, I think that we can do this, or no, no, I think that we could do this. It doesn't necessarily mean that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad thing, but it can turn into a bad thing if not handled properly, for sure. So that, that's what I was actually going to add there. Awesome. I love that. Two visions. Um, and that's so true because two visions to me also speaks of different perspectives. And so if you think that your perspective is always right, you're never going to have any real good, positive relationships. And whether it's family, friends or whatever, relationships will remain surface if you only focus on what you think is right. And there, there's a quote that I don't know if I made it up or not. I think I made it up. But if it's out there, you know, maybe somebody else said it. Maybe I heard and don't remember, but I, I, I like to say like your truth and the truth are not always the same thing. And we live in a society where people say like, well, this is my truth. Yeah, that may be your truth, but you may be looking at it from your perspective. And so if it's only from your perspective, how can you grow and learn and nurture relationships? And I, I'm going to share a personal story here just to kind of segue and jump into um the, I guess the, the, the lion's share of what I want to talk about today, which is really, like I said, fixing you in order to have a better family dynamic. Um, when I was probably about a, maybe somewhere between six and nine years old. Um, so I, I've mentioned before that I lived in foster homes. So, uh, I had lived in five different fo uh, foster homes by the time I was age 12, by the time I was 13, I was homeless prior to that. Um, and one of the homes that I was in, my adopted mom's sister, I think, I think it was her sister. Um, she was washing my hair one day and she uh, immersed my head in water, like, and literally like tried to drown me. And she was upset because of whatever she was upset about. And she always felt like, you know, I was always getting in trouble, whatever the case may be. And as a little girl, having someone do that to me, like literally try to drown me. I felt like nobody loves me, right? That was my truth. I felt like nobody loves me. And then what I took it upon myself to do is I said, you know what, when children's services comes to visit, I am going to tell them what happened because that wasn't the first time that someone had did something abusive to me. Um, and I had just gotten fed up and I thought to myself, I said, all right, if I say something to children's services, what they're going to do is they're going to get me out of this house. I'm going to move to another family and everything's going to be all right. So the people came probably a few weeks later and I, you know, they took me into the room by myself, which they normally did to kind of talk to me about what was going on. And I said, listen, here's what happened. The lady um, put my head in, in water and tried to drown me while she was washing my hair. And here's the other things that are going on. And I really want to get out of this house, but uh, please, please, please don't say anything. And I felt like, okay, they promised me they weren't going to say anything and they were going to get me out of the house. So they, they leave. And later that night, I'm getting ready to take a bath. And I had taken my clothes off, gotten the tub. And next thing I know, the, my foster, my adopted mom's sister came in there and like was whooping me with an extension cord. And as she was whooping me, now mind you, I'm soaking wet from the tub. So if you get hit with something and you're wet, imagine just the, the lashings that are happening to your body. And I'm, it's stinging like I got stung by a bee or something uh, over and over and over again. And she's saying, why did you tell them that, um, I, you know, that we're abusing you? 
And the first thing that came to my mind wasn't the pain that I felt from her hitting me. It was the pain of the broken promise. It was the pain of somebody that I entrusted with information that I thought was going to help me um, violating that trust. And at that moment, as it was six, seven, eight or nine, I can't remember the, the exact age. I said to myself, people can't be trusted. I said to myself, I don't need anybody. I said to myself, I'm not going to let anybody get that close to me again to be able to hurt me. Right. And so those were, that was like an inner vow that I made to myself. Have James, have you ever had like an inner vow where maybe something happens and whatever it is, and you say to yourself, never again, am I going to let that happen? Or oh, absolutely. you say to yourself, you got me once, but you won't get me again. And, and, and then you implement a process, right? You initiate a new way of thinking based off a situation that happened. And so that's what I went through I, I, as a young child. Like th this is the way that I see life. And so I grew up, you know, and moving to different homes and different places. And even as an adult feeling like I don't need anybody, people can't be trusted. And I'm, I, I'm good by myself. And I'm not going to let anybody get that close to me. The, that, that was my mindset. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you make vows like that, you forget that you even made them, right? Like you, you go on with life and you're doing things and people are looking at you like you're successful and you're doing this and you're doing that. Um, and then things happen that bring up those old feelings and bring up those old, old emotions. And remember what I said earlier about, um, the people closest to you get to see that real you. Well, your family, those in your household, if you if you have a spouse or you have children or you parents, whatever, anybody in your family, because they have access to you on a level that other people don't, they can push buttons that no one else can, which means you sometimes get faced with the mirror to be able to say, why am I behaving this way? Right. And I remember one time my husband, it was my birthday. It was a few, several years ago. Um, he said, um, oh no, I said, I, he, now he's, he's a budgeter. He like, everything's on a spreadsheet. He plans everything. When I say everything, I mean down to the cent. He reconciles his spreadsheet with his bank account every single day. He projects out what he's going to have saved and what he's going to spend on gas, on bills, on everything for a whole year. And so if a expense does not line up with his, you know, plan, then chances are he is not going to do it. Um, there is a 99.999% chance that he's not going to do anything outside of his budget. And I know that. And I had to give you that preface because the story I'm going to tell you, it, it, it fits in. So, you know, so um, my birthday was coming up. Now, mind you, he even budgets what he's going to spend on my birthday, on Christmas, birthday, whatever. He's a year in advance, already put a number inside of his uh, spreadsheet for what he's going to spend. And this, this is a serious job. Like, I am not exaggerating. Not <laughs> exaggerating at all. Yeah. He's, he's a budgeter. I mean, he's a serious, and I'm a free spirit. Okay. I'm a free spirit. When he, <laughs> I want to buy what I want. Now I don't spend a whole lot, but I like to just like, if I feel like, you know what, I'm going to drive and stop in, at Wendy's and spend a couple dollars. It's not a big deal. It's $2. 
I don't see a problem with it. He's yeah. like, nope, I did not calculate that $2, so it cannot be spent. <laughs> so anyway, my birthday was coming up and um, I had asked for something initially that I think was like maybe $150. And then the Apple Watch came out and my, now mind you, he had budgeted when he was going to get me a while back based on what I asked, but I wanted an Apple Watch. So then I said, Todd, um, I know you've already budgeted, but you know, I want an Apple watch and the Apple watch maybe was like $400. I don't remember how much it was back then. Um, and his first response to me was, I didn't budget for that. Well, he, what he was saying was I didn't budget for it. He wasn't saying he wasn't going to get it for me. He was just telling me that that wasn't a part of his plan. But sometimes people in our family or those closest to us, they say something, right? But because of the things that we've experienced in the past, we hear something totally different. So when he said he didn't budget for it, I immediately heard in my mind, he doesn't want to buy the, the watch for me. He doesn't care. You know, I don't need him to buy the watch for me anyway, because quite frankly, I work my job and I can go out and buy my own Apple watch. That Those were the thoughts that honestly went through my mind, right? Mm -hmm. But think back to what I told you earlier. The reason why that came to my mind is because it was old feelings rising up from when I was a child where being rejected, being abused, feeling like nobody cared and setting up a defense mechanism to protect myself, right? Mm -hmm. And bringing that now into my marriage to say like, I don't need you to buy me an Apple Watch anyway. And, I, and, and out of my mouth, I said, well, that's okay. I don't need you to buy me the watch. I'll buy it myself. And he looked at me and he said, I know you can buy the watch yourself. He said, I was not telling you I wouldn't buy it. I was just saying that it wasn't in the budget. He said, if you buy it for yourself, it won't have the same meaning as it, ha it would have as if I buy it. Mm. And it was at that moment, it was kind of pivotal for me to realize he's right. And I started taking a look at myself and I thought, why was the first conclusion that I jumped to that he didn't care, that he didn't want to buy me the watch, that I don't need you to buy me the watch? And I mean, my little neck to myself was rolling. Like, I don't need you to buy it. You know, like, and why was that my first response? It wasn't what he did. Right. It was me. It was the feelings that were, was inside of me that I needed to face. I needed to face the little girl that felt like she was rejected that felt like, all right, if I start feeling threatened, I need to protect myself and I need to say, I don't need anybody. And I need to just, you know, get whatever I want to get by myself and not worry about if somebody's going to do it for me. But something he said stuck out, the meaning, the meaning of family, the meaning of someone else, allowing someone else to do something nice for you and not being on in a silo by yourself. Because if you're on a team, and you want to shoot all the shots, right? What happens? What happens, James, if, if, if you're, you're on a team and somebody's trying to shoot all the shots and, and not give anybody else any leeway? Like, yeah, it doesn't people, work. People come, yeah, it, they, they become disengaged. They're like, all right, well, you're doing it by yourself, so why am I here? Exactly. Right? Ex exactly. And when you have these issues on the inside of you, right, that stem from childhood that are not addressed your family dynamic is toxic mm -hmm. 
And I started doing a search and I'm going to encourage each of you to do a search too. Like think back to your earliest childhood memory. You know, usually it's something between the ages of three and seven or three and eight, something like that, where you think of a defining moment that changed you as a child. And, and sometimes whatever that thing is, that thing is even driving you as an adult without you thinking about it. And the way you know um, what it is, is like I said, when something happens that upsets you, that gets you mad, what, what voice do you hear? What do you say to yourself? Because like for me, the first thing I said to myself was, I don't need you to buy me the watch anyway. And it was like, just that quick, because that is what I had taught myself all along. And I don't even know. I mean, I didn't even plan to say all this stuff. I had a a bunch of other things written, written down, but (laughs) I feel like someone James needs to hear, you know, that if you want a better family dynamic and you want more peace in your home, it doesn't start with looking at the other person or persons. It doesn't even start as a parent with looking that, that your kids need to be better, right? Or your spouse needs to be better or your brother needs to be better, your sister needs to be better, or your parents need to be better, or whatever. It's like, what can I do better? Like, what what are the things that are holding me hostage? Right. What are the things that are preventing me from that? You know, one of the quotes I always love is seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. Like seeking to listen. Sometimes we don't even want to listen because we think we're always right or we we we're we don't want to be receptive to new information because we think that somebody's a, a, like I I remember I felt like if anybody gave me any feedback that they were trying to say I wasn't doing a good job or like they you know like if they gave if they said hey could you change the way this is done I felt like to me what I was hearing was you messed up you're wrong you you know like but those were thoughts that were replaying from how I felt as a child and bringing that into adulthood and having my growth stunted simply, not just professionally, but also in relationship until I saw that. Um, And in my mind, God, it takes him to break down those walls. It takes God to really, um, he knows us like he knows the number of hairs that are on our head. He um, he formed us when we are in our mother's womb. He knew us even way before them, before the foundation of the world. And so he knows everything that we have went through, what we're going to go through and who we will become. And as we get closer to him, I think we see more of who he designed us to be. And as we're growing up and going through different situations, we, how can I put this? We kind of take on the form of something else, right? Like we're shaped by external things. And then as you progress and you mature and you get closer to God, I think what's inside of you begins to manifest and come out. And, and the awesome thing is, it's making me actually happy now thinking about it. Everything that we need, James, is already on the inside of us. Everything. Absolutely. He put everything, I mean, everything that we need, everything we need to have a great family dynamic is already on the inside of us. And sometimes it's hidden behind a wall. Yeah. 
hidden behind a shell, hidden behind, you know, lies that we tell ourselves, hidden behind hurt. You know, the Bible says that he would above all that we would prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. And our soul is our mind, our will, and our intellect. So sometimes our mind is tormented and plagued by thoughts that were planted there years ago. And God wants us to, to uproot those things if they're not serving us, if they're not um, allowing us to demonstrate the love that he wants us to demonstrate to our family. I feel like I'm rambling, James. Let me let you talk because- No, no, I, no, I, no, I no this is good. I mean, we, we said that we brought you on here to talk, right? But no, just to actually kind of chime in a little bit as far as in just family dynamics, um, you know, the way that I look at it as well is, is that being able to compartmentalize. So compartmentalize with problem solving. So sometimes when, when people go into relationships, when they're, you know, when they're friends and then they decide to go in courtship and then eventually marriage, is that everything kind of, kind of gets blurred. Everything like comes all together. Like, oh, you know, if something happens, it's like, oh, it's that person's fault. Because we, we, we have not been taught from a society standpoint mm-hmm. how to compartmentalize. So like, for instance, like a great example is understanding what's your problem versus their problem versus what's our problem together, right? So mm-hmm. when you can understand the, those three buckets as an individual from a family dynamic perspective, then you won't really be offended. You won't be, uh, you know, this person that's like tossed to and fro because you think that everything that someone says to you is a personal attack. You know, you know, I, I know back in my marriage, I used to be the same way. I used to like, oh, you know, what you say about me? What? Huh? You know, just on edge, right? You know, there's people there out there right now. They're laughing, but it's true. On edge because this family dynamic is, well, it's their fault. Well, is it really their fault or it really, or is it really your fault because you didn't do the due diligence? You didn't do the things you needed to do to at least uh, uh, put that person in a position to win. Because what this is all about from a family perspective is both people going down the same path, right? And that's why it's so important to understand something. Warren Buffett said this. Um, he said the, the most important, now this is just from, from a natural standpoint, being in the world, okay? Uh, he basically said that the most important decision that someone can make is the partner that they choose, right? Is the partner that they choose because what Shara is talking about is success. So this is called Kingdom Success University. This is not called Kingdom Losing University. We're not trying to teach you how to lose. We're not teaching you how to be a loser. We're teaching you how to win in a way that makes sense. Now, everybody's dynamic is different, but it starts with a mindset first. So the mm-hmm. mindset come from you in taking a step back and understanding that every person in the world has gone through something in their childhood, right? Whether it's small, big, it doesn't matter. Every single person mm-hmm. has gone through some type of traumatic situation. So you're not going to find the perfect spouse, okay? That's what Cheryl was saying, right? 
So Shara saying that, hey, I wasn't really the perfect spouse and, and Todd may feel the same way, vice versa, right? That, hey, I'm not the perfect spouse as well. Well, yeah, we're two imperfect people, but, the, but what Shara is teaching is that it's a mindset starting with you. Hey, what's my problem, right? Hey, the, hey that, that childhood is not my spouse's problem. Right. That was something that that was something that happened way before this person. So that's something that we as individuals have to deal with first and then say, OK, once we deal with that. OK, now let's talk about what's a us problem. Mm-hmm. And that's towards the goal. What is the mission? Is the mission, you know, is the mission, hey, I want to own a couple of businesses or, hey, I'm trying to retire this at this point in time, or, hey, I want to be a stay-at-home parent, whatever the goal or the mission is, that that's where you where both people need to be on board with, not each other, and tacking each other, saying, personally, you're a bad person because you I, I felt jaded because you said something, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this is about winning at the highest level. So that's what I like about what Sherry has taught here, but please keep in mind, Another thing that I would also tell you, let me give you another example. There's a there's an author, you probably heard of him, uh, Shara. His name is Jim Rohn. Not Jim Rome, but Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. And he talks about his story, and it's incredible. So the first five years of his life, he focused only on building his financial empire. But hear this but it was to the neglect of his family. And you know, the one thing that he talked about the most on every session of success, the the regret that he talked about the most is not paying close attention to the details of what Sherry's talking about with the family dynamics. That was his regret. To his grave, to this day, even to his grave, he talked about that, that he regretted that piece there. He didn't talk about more money. He didn't talk about more success. He didn't talk about trying to take over the world. He talked about the family dynamics. So if you hear what Shara is is talking about, please be mindful because there are traps. Yes, even though you may be in pursuit of a worthy goal that will get the family to the next level, but it's not to uh, to the neglect of them, right? So that's what Shara is teaching. So I didn't want to kind of chime in on that, but I just wanted to kind of lay that out to where, hey, people can hear that what you're teaching is absolutely on point and, and it, it's, it's true now, right? Because now COVID is lessening, people are getting out more and the truth of the matter, if people don't want to hear this, that's okay, is the mere fact that there are so many distractions. There's 4,000 hobbies in the United States. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that again. There's over 4,000 hobbies that people can get involved in just in the United States. And you know what the average American is putting or investing into the family dynamics? And uh, this is obviously what's tracked by the government here. Um, Only three hours a week of quality time with no distractions. Three hours a week. Wow. So please, what Shara is talking about is very much on point, And this is a passion point of ours. 
And I know it's a passion point of mine because I have four girls. Obviously, I'm single, but, you know, I'm keeping in mind, like, hey, you know, if, if when that future spouse comes, I have to be mindful that, hey, it's not just my life. It's just not her life. It's, it's our life together, right? And how do we move forward? That's really the that's really the goal. And I hope that, you know, people, the audience, that you can get that and grasp that because that is very, very important. Because at the end of the day, let's get honest. Let's get real. When you're on your deathbed, you're not asking for a resume. Mm -hmm. when you're on your deathbed. You're not asking, can I get a TEDx uh, talk session? Mm -hmm. right? like, you're not asking for any of those things. When you're on your deathbed, you're asking for those who were in your life? And the question is, who are those people? And if you don't have them, why? Because again, if you don't keep in mind the most important things, you can lose sight of the most important things. So Shara, keep going. I, I'm sorry. I can keep yeah, that, that was That was really good. And it reminded me of, I was on a, a meeting probably a couple months ago and the keynote speaker said that he had been for the past maybe six or seven years been traveling all over the country every week and maybe uh spent a few days a, a month at home and so he said even though you know covid has had some negative impacts in our in our nation and in our world it actually brought positivity to his life because he's had an opportunity to spend more time with family than he has in seven years. So he had an opportunity to get to know his children. Like if you're only home a couple of days a month, you don't know your kids when you get there. You're, you're, he, he said he was so exhausted. He would come home from flight, you know, and just going to sleep, barely spending time with his wife, barely spending time with the children, not knowing what they like, not keeping up with how they were doing in school or what their hobbies, one of the 4,000 hobbies, right? Were, or anything like that. He had no idea. Um, and he said, one of his children's came to him and is like, daddy, I'm so glad that you're home spending more time. And he said that meant more to him than anything. And in this time, I believe God gave us a reprieve, a time to slow down, a time to really think about life and what matters and what's most important. James, like you mentioned, you know, like on your deathbed that you're thinking about those things. I watched a Ted talk a while back. And uh, I think it was something something about like, how do you extend time to your life? And I don't remember the title of it, but anyway, towards the end, she was saying that um, she was a hospice nurse or something like that. And, you know, people at the end of their days, you know, asking them about their regrets and what they wish they had and so on and so forth. And she said, nobody mentioned that they wanted more money. No one mentioned they wish they would have worked more hours. No one mentioned that they wish they had more success or they had accomplished certain goals. The main thing that people mentioned was the fact that they wish they had more time with their family and loved ones. They wish they would have prioritized them a little more and realized what was most important. And so that is, uh, to me, there's a quote that says, think, you know, think about the end from the beginning. And so when you keep the end in mind and you know what the end goal is and James, you're a project manager. So, you know, this you're thinking about the end of the project and you're setting up milestones and all of that stuff, right. To make sure you get it along the way. Well, 
when you think about your future and the end, right? Some people are afraid to think about the end, but I think if you want to know how to behave today, you have to think about the end. I remember in college many years ago, in critical thinking class, I think it was, they had us do an assignment that I thought was just like, so then I thought it was stupid and I didn't want to do it, but they had everybody write your own eulogy. Like, how do you do that? Like, how do you write your own? And what they were getting us to do was critically think about what do you want people to say about you when you're gone? They had buckets. They had like, what do you want the people you work with to say? What do you want your children to say? What do you want your spouse to say? What do you want your family to say? Your parents to say all these different people. And in thinking about that, right? If you think about what you want people to say and what you want them to remember, it should shape your behavior because you say, wait a minute, if I want people to know me as being loving and caring and kind, then it stands to reason that I should probably be loving and caring and kind now, right? Like if I want people to say, you know what, uh, this person loved God, then it stands to reason that our behaviors should show that we love God and we love people. And so um, I thought that was really good. And, and back to just like the COVID and spending more time with family and everything, I, I want to make a point here that you know, during COVID, I also had a moment where I realized that I was busy, 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 and that I needed to slow down and, and smell the roses and focus on what was most important. And um, I was used to working and then working on my business and researching and writing and doing all this stuff. And one day, my you know, every time my husband was talking to me, not every time, but most times when he was talking to me, I would be multitasking and texting or, or very, really texting, really just researching, reading. I don't really I'm not on the phone too much, but on my phone or on my iPad or on my computer. And this particular time I was on my computer and I was doing some research and he said something to me and I said, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, you didn't hear anything I said, did you? And I was like, yeah, I heard you. Uh, and I tried to repeat what he was saying because I had one ear on him and one, you know, one ear, you know, focused on what I was, you know, paying attention to. And he said something that really kind of struck a chord. He said, you never listen to me. And the word that stuck out to me was never. Because um, I was thinking, never. I mean, this is just like one time I was doing something and you say, I never listen to you. And I replayed that in my mind over and over and over again. And what I realized he was saying is, when we talk, you're always working on something and not giving me your undivided attention. And I felt sad about that. Like, I don't want you to feel like you're not important. I don't want you to feel like uh, I'm not listening or paying attention to you. I don't want you to feel like you don't have value in my life. And so it caused me to take a step back and realize, you know what? The things that I'm working on and staying up late to do, it's not like I can't do them another time. You know, it's not like I have to do it right at that very moment. But when you are a driven person, sometimes you can be distracted by just the things that you want to get accomplished. Even, you know, my son, I thought about him and I thought like, I don't want him to see me working all day and all night. I want him to see me working and to see like, to know that we, we have goals and stuff, but I don't want it to take away from the time that I'm spending with him to where he's running around and I'm on the computer, right? Like, all, like that shows him that I'm not important to you. And so that caused me to think about what is essential? What is most important? That's another point that I want to make. Like in family dynamics, you have to realize what is the most important thing? 
And so that I was on like several boards that I was serving on. I was volunteering and doing a lot. I took time to really reflect and think, what do I really need to be involved in? And so I, there was a board I had been on for like four years and I realized it no longer aligned with where I'm going. And so I resigned from the board. I was only on there because I felt like I needed to help. Like, but I'm compelled to stay on a board for something that I'm not really actively involved in right now, but not as compelled to spend time with my family, right? That's, that's real and honest. And many people out there are having that same struggle, whether you say it or not, especially if you're a person that wants success and you have goals, right? But it's being aware of it. And so once I became aware of it, I had to make a decision. I had a job where I was on call 24 seven and working really late hours that was running into my business time and my family time. And so I said, after nine years, I'm going to find another career because I wanted to make a choice that reflected where I was at in my life right now. And sometimes we can be so comfortable, James, with where we are um, and what we're doing that we're afraid to make a change, but you have to want something more than what you have now in order to make a change. And when he said, I never listened to him, that was an indicator to me that, wait a minute, I need to do something different. And so I started making shifts and changes and he noticed the difference. And it's not that we didn't have a good relationship or a good marriage, but it was, there was things that I could still do better to make sure he understood how I, how much I care for him and how important he is to me. And we could, we all go through seasons, ups and downs, right? Where, you know, uh, people say relationships should be 50, 50. That's not true. Sometimes it's 40, 60 or 20, 80, where one person's given 80%, another person's given 20%. But it goes back to the buckets that you mentioned earlier, James, where um, you have to understand your issues, their issues, and our issues. So if there's a season where maybe you're given the 80%, that's your time to grant grace to the other person. That's your time to, you know, love extra, right? And because there's going to come a time where you're given 20% and they're given 80% and they're going to look at you the same way. Because there were times like, especially early on when my husband, uh, it was he's going to watch this later and he's going to, I'm telling him anyway, he was a video gamer. <laughs> like he game all, like he went to work and he would get off work and play his video game. And this was like earlier on in our marriage. And I felt like he was ignoring me. I felt like, uh, you know, like the game was more important. He would literally like get home. And if I would interrupt him while he's playing a video game, he's like, I don't want to lose my life in this game. I don't, you know, like I'm here on this level and you know, all the, whatever he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, what about the level in our marriage? Right. What about, you know, the, you know, uh, scoring, scoring points with me, huh? You know, what, what about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, and so he had to learn how to do that. But then it was interesting how the tables turned. And then I was the one, and he's like, wait a minute, where's my time? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, how so interesting how things it, change. It, it is. It, and so it, it happens. And we have to grant grace, you know, in, in those times when, and constantly work on ourselves and be understanding of the other person. And, and the last thing that I want to mention is 
I don't want to just only talk about like marriage and all that. I want to talk about also just parents and children. I mean, my son is young. He'll be three in September. So he's, he's two right now. Um, but I'm somebody's child. Right. And so I can speak about being a child or being a parent. And I want to say, just like how I started off earlier about just some things in my life as parents, what we do and say in the dynamic and environment that we create shapes our children. It shapes how they see themselves. It shapes how they feel about life. It shapes, you know, how they respond and what they value. And so when we think about the dynamic, we need to be very aware of what we do and what we say, not just around our children, right? Because that's not enough. It's what we do and say, period, because we are a representation of who we hopefully want them to become and we want them to be better, but we want them to look at us as parents and say, like my dad, my mom, you know, like they, they're great. I want to be like them or I want to marry somebody like them or what, you know, or or whatever. Um, And make them feel the confidence, make them feel safe because, you know, in former generations, you know, people felt like it was okay to be silent. It was okay to like not speak up with, about things that were bothering you and, and making making kids feel like, and I don't know if you went through this, James, where it's like, you don't have any nerves. You don't have any opinions. You're a child, you know? Yeah, well, oh, absolutely. Yeah, but when you treat children like that, then they feel like my voice doesn't matter, right? And the whole generation, our generation probably feels like, well, maybe I don't need to say anything, but it's like, no, the kids... Have, a, have an opinion, let them share their feelings because their feelings are real. And when you shut those feelings down, now the child doesn't know how to adjust emotionally as an adult. And then they get married and they say, I don't need you to buy me an Apple watch anyway. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. That, that, I mean, that, or, or they say, oh, you said something to me. What you trying to say? You know, like they don't know how to, to, to filter and navigate those feelings and emotions because nobody taught them or nobody allowed them to express it. So the only expression that, that, that they know how to express is anger or rejection or fear, right? And, and no love and no like understanding and no being rational and no being able to converse about something and no being able to disagree respectfully, right? Like when you love somebody and you're in, in whatever family or whatever, even if, you, even if you're not family and they're just who you're working with, you should be able to have a healthy dialogue with somebody who has a differing opinion in a respectful manner and not get upset or offended. The only way you get upset and offended is really if you worship your own thoughts and believe that you're always right. And even if you are right, there's nothing wrong with hearing somebody out, right? Like it's like, but if you haven't learned how to do that, it's difficult. And so as I've been going through this process over the past few years myself, just getting to know me better and overcoming barriers from childhood, I realized that it is not an easy task to address the you that nobody else knows, right? The, 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 the you that is scared, the you that is rejected, the you that is fearful, the you that is, has low self-esteem, the you, no matter what you've accomplished, sometimes you can feel low about yourself and nobody knows. Um, the you that you know um, is afraid to go after something because you think you're not going to get it because of maybe being, you know, rejected in the past. And so you know that you and stepping outside of your comfort zone and addressing that, um, I think is the first step in having a healthy 
um, I guess, self-image and healthy family dynamic. A hundred percent. You know, there's two uh, principles that I actually pulled from that. So the first one is when, when you were talking about um, the person that thinks, oh, well, my way is the right way or you know, they always think they're right, you know, because I think for a lot of us, we, we think we are right in some things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in certain uh, aspects. But here's what, but here's a principle that, that I learned from a mentor. Uh, he said, James, it's about getting it right, not being right. So if you understand the difference, that's where you can put yourself in the best position to win in family dynamics. It's not about Who's right? It's about getting it right, right? Let's get right. Let's get this situation right. Hey, yes, I may have a feeling. That doesn't mean that it, it changes the way the, the, the my perspective of you. It's just, hey, I just have a certain feeling towards the situation, mm-hmm. right? And not taking everything personal. So it's not it's not about being right or who's right. It's about just getting the situation right. And that's really where two mature people come together, right? To, to really move in that right direction. So that, that's the first principle. But the second principle, before we close it out and, and, and have you leave uh, with some departing wisdom here, is it's about, it's not about getting into, isn't it, if you're thinking about, if you're a single parent and you have children, if you're in a relationship and, and, and you're kind of on the fringe of like, oh my gosh, like there's some friction there. Well, let, let, me, let me teach you something that a mentor taught me. He says, James, always outgive the person. If you outgive, outserve, outlove, outwork, outthink the person, guess what? You'll never ever feel that, oh my gosh, they must do this because you're always on the giving end. And the one principle that I've learned is that you can't outgive God because if you treat that person, as if they, they are in that position of Christ, then you know, hey, Christ is always going to come back and honor you. So when you honor him, you honor him through the person that you're serving, that that child, your spouse, whoever that is, and Christ will honor you back. So that's the one thing that I can definitely tell you out of the out of that, those two principles that, hey, if you're looking at family dynamics, that's the key to success. Now, you don't have to take that but hey, we're going to take that to our bank and go win with that as well, right? So with that, uh, Shara, leave us with some departing wisdom. Like, what would you give us as far as in just what you talked about? I, I just say, in, in light of everything that we talked about today, the one thing that I want to leave you with is to have a, um, uh, a healthy uh, family dynamic, uh, of course, requires to work on you, as we talked about, right? But the one thing that is really, really important is that you have to be intentional. It does not happen by accident. So you could have all the knowledge and everything that we share, you could have taken notes and wrote down the importance to compartmentalize and to think about, you know, the us problem versus the you problem versus the me problem versus the giving grace versus, you know, making sure that you understand the things that are hindering you and, and things that you, that happened to you as a child that are maybe causing you to, um, not be able to, you know, have healthy conversations or relationships now, whatever it is, right? You can know all that and recite it and still not do it. Um, that's what the Bible says, be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Because guess what? The doing is, is, is 
the hard part. The hearing is the easy part, right? Like we, we can hear it, we can dialogue about it, but the doing, and I'm saying this from experience, is not easy and it takes repetition. It takes being intentional. It takes, you know, being accountable. And I like that James mentioned that he has mentors because we don't always see ourselves the way that we are. You know, what? Uh, uh, there's a, a quote that I can't think of it on the tip of my tongue, but it, it talks about how we judge ourselves based on our intentions and we judge others based on their behaviors, right? We look at ourselves and we say, well, even though I did this bad thing or said this bad thing, I didn't mean it, right? Like I didn't intend it to happen that way. I didn't intend them to feel that way. So they should grant me grace. But when someone else does something, right? We judge them based off of, no, that's what you did. And yes, they did it. But what about the same grace you extended to yourself? What about thinking about the motivator between, you know, why did they do it? Why did they say it? If you have a relative or a spouse or a child or whatever, you know, have you ever stopped to think about if they did something that you didn't like or that hurt you or whatever? Like, I wonder why they did that. Like, taking a, a pause to think it goes back to what we talked about of seeking to understand before seeking to be understood. When you love like God loves, you seek to understand first. And you say, I wonder what, maybe they had a bad day. But instead of jumping into a conclusion and thinking that, oh, they said this because of da, 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 maybe it's just, maybe it's just that they just got bad news. You know, maybe it's that they got fired from their job today and they're just happy. Maybe, you know, they're having some hormonal issues that you don't know about. Maybe, you know, they, you know, are feeling down about something that happened in the past, Wh whatever it is understanding that and being able to grant grace and like James said, out love them, out serve them, out work them. And I'll give an example on the way out of my husband doing this. And it was, so we, um, our, our son is my, is our miracle. It took us eight years to have him. And we went through, you know, several rounds of, of in vitro fertilization and we had several losses. Well, one of the losses that we had was during the second trimester. So it was like after the baby was fully formed and um, we saw the hand, the head, the feet, you know, the heard the heartbeat and saw all the organs. And then we, we, we lost the baby and I went into labor early and I was completely devastated. Um, it was probably one of the most, the lowest points emotionally that I had, especially in our, in our marriage, because I couldn't understand how God could bless us with a child and then take it away. At least that was my perception. That that's how I saw it. And so I was really kind of messed up emotionally. And we went into a store and we were walking around. It was Value City Furniture Store. Yeah, we were we were walking around and I saw a woman who was pregnant and she was probably about eight or nine months pregnant and her belly was out there. And instantly I started crying and I was crying because I felt like, um, that should be me. Like, you know, Lord, why didn't I get to have the baby that was in me? And my husband, I didn't say anything to him about that. I just was crying. And then he, he came over to, to grab me and I was like, I'm ready to go. I want to leave out of the store. You know, like I was just angry. And instead of him saying, why are you tripping? Why are you upset? He hugged me. He hugged me and he said, I understand. I understand why you're acting like this. He took a moment to look beyond what I was doing externally, because externally I was pushing him away. And I didn't want to be bothered, but really it was because I was hurt because I saw 
the pregnant lady and I had just lost my baby. And for him to look beyond the way I was treating him at that moment and see my need, my need was I needed to be loved. I needed a hug. I needed him to tell me everything was going to be okay. I needed him to comfort me. And even though I was pushing him away, he saw what I needed. And I believe that is one of the best examples that I've seen from him of love and really being able to compartmentalize and understand and grant me grace um, because it reminds me of how God does us, right? He looks beyond our faults and he sees our needs. He looks beyond our mistakes and he sees our potential. He looks beyond, you know, what we're doing and sees what we can become. And if I can leave with anything, I would say that. Great grace, look beyond, you know, what you see externally and, and ask yourself the question, is there a greater need? And then fill it. Wise words, wise, wise words. And we'll leave you with that. So in ending, please subscribe to uh, Kingdom Success University podcast and the YouTube channel. Thank you. And you have a blessed, blessed day. To view all recordings, please go to my YouTube channel, which is called Kingdom Success University, or visit my website at www.beachamsconsultingservices.com. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Success University podcast.